Look at you. I'm, I'm enjoying this. Jim, I wish we had a speed bag. That's my favorite thing. Two. One. Uh, Test. Steve Sweeney, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? Hey, I'm great. great I can't believe you. you know what? I've done so many things in my life, you know, movies, TV, all this stuff, stand-up, but Joe Rogan, oh, my God. Back in Boston, Jesus, you're on Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, I get, you've got fans, you know, that are like all these different ages and all different kinds of people, and uh, I'm very proud of you. Thank you. One of the things that happened, you don't remember this, but you opened for me. Many times. Louis C.K. opened for me. Nick DiPaolo opened for me. So people that want a little show business advice open for me. It helps. And then you get to go by me and, uh, you know, I get to watch you guys become stars. I've said. Well, I'm playing fucking Chinese restaurants <laughs> in Saugus. Some of the best stand-up comedy in the world is at Chinese restaurants in Saugus, and that's a fact still to this day. All those people that live there, they don't know how good they have it. Well, you know what it is? I, you know, you work with these guys. You and I have worked with guys that are like genius, you know, a transcendent, whatever word you want to use. But doing stand-up is not about being funny. It's about going into these shitholes and, like, developing this extra skin. You know, you, you're a martial artist and sort of you have kind of that mentality. But, you know, when I started, it was like I came from, you know, I was an actor. I was a very serious person. I was like an actor, you know, and I'd, I'd do like these obscure impressions. I'd, Paul Schofield and Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier, you know, Rezonats and all this bullshit. And I'd be playing at places like the Sugar Shack. Do you remember the <laughs> yes, Sugar Shack? Yes, I do. It was a black uh, R&B joint, and I opened for B.B. King. Wow. Yeah, and I'm doing like John Lennon. It was very important when we started. The, and the black, do some dirty shit, man. What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> Don't you know any jokes? <laughs> so in the back, I get heckled. My first heckler, he said, you suck. And I said, yeah, fuck you. Who are you? He says, I'm B.B. King. I hired you, motherfucker. Oh, no. Yeah, and then I was doing, I, I will never forget this. Do you remember the channel? The channel, yeah, yeah, yeah. The channel, the, it was the, a the rock, club. And, yeah. rock and roll place. So I'm opening for like these bands. You know, it was like that Blues Brothers scene where they're throwing shit at the cage. Yeah. So um, the bouncer, he says, you know, point to people and, and we'll throw them out. So I'd point to them, but then they'd bring them out in the alley and beat the shit out of them, <laughs> you know? But I, I'm thinking because you're a martial artist, so I, I've kind of got this thing about people fighting and growing up in Charlestown. And um, I think back on certain incidents when I was starting doing stand-up, and I was at this place on Calm Ave, and this guy stole one of my lines. No, I know that you're big into that, right? So he goes off stage. I hit him with a right cross and fucking goes over the tables. And I'm thinking to myself, my friend says, I thought you wanted to be Jonathan Winters. And Reds, they don't do shit like that. And then another time, we were at the Ground Round in Brighton. I'll never the forget ground this. The Ground Round. Yeah, I'll never forget this, Joe. So I'm on, st the guy on before me, the guy in the audience is throwing little ice things at him, right? So I said, uh, my opening line, usually you try to get the audience to like you you know, or la make them laugh or whatever. So my opening line was like, the first motherfucker that throws something at me, I'm going to knock him out. You know, you're not exactly setting the stage for hilarious comedy. But, uh, you know, How I did that work? 
What's that? How'd it, that work out? Terrible. I bombed, you know. I, <laughs> people think, you know, when you do this for a while, you've never bombed. I mean, there's no experience in life like bombing in Louisville, Kentucky. I'll never forget that. And a guy comes up to me afterwards and he says, and he was trying to make me feel good. He says, well, I could tell by your tone you're funny. Ah. <laughs> you know, but I'm doing shit like about subways and stuff. They don't even know what they are. Right. So those early years, there was like one, um, there wasn't even a comedy club. So you just kind of did it. I fell into it. What year did you start? Oh, my God. People, you know, people, I, I am now at that point, Joe, where people come up to me and, you know, they say, I'm so glad to see you. I keep telling my husband, I'm telling you, he's not dead. He has not died. So it's been like 30 or 40 years. Um, I don't remember the year, but uh, I remember You don't those... remember the year you started? No, I don't remember. I started in 88, and you were a legend. I was a legend in, back in 88. then. Huh? Yeah, you were, for sure, dude. I, I watched you one night at Nick's Comedy Stop kill so hard, I, st I thought about quitting. Because I'd only been doing comedy like a year. And I was like, fuck this. I, I got to get the fuck out of you know, this business. You know, you know when I had that feeling? Richard Pryor's first performance film. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Pryor Live. He filmed it in I, Long Beach. I, was, I went to see that with Stephen Wright. And both of us walked out. We said, we don't even want to do this. <laughs> you know, it's, it was so intimidating. Yeah, I know that feeling, man. Yeah. Well, you know, we got that feeling a lot in Boston. And uh, as, as a kid starting out there, it was, I, I tell everybody that I, I stumbled into the, the greatest comedy scene in the history of the known universe. In 1988, when I started, it was insane. It was insane. Don Gavin was in his prime. You were in your prime. Rogerson. I would watch these guys go up. Don, um, uh, um, um, there was so many guys that were so fucking good. Knox was killing back then there were so many guys that you would go any night you would go and watch some of the best stand-up comedy on the planet it was it was amazing mike donovan mike donovan to this day yeah, people brilliant. don't know who mike donovan is brilliant. he was a fucking he used to genius do johnny most do you know who johnny most is? most people don't no you announced for the red side for the yeah. celtics and oh, i can't believe it he just went on that yeah he would do this long but you know what but, but it's funny you say in your prime because and I've talked to people who've been in it longer than me. This is one job where you can get better. Yes. You yeah. can get better, more skillful, you know. But it's something that you, you know, you, you just have to give the finger to the business because they're looking for the fat guy, the small guy, the black guy. That You know, they're, they're always looking for something other than what you are. Right. So you do what you do like you've done what you did. You know. Well, the business in terms of like movies and television shows, yeah, they will try to lure you away, and they lure you away with money. But the business of stand-up comedy is, is really about what you do in front of that microphone you and how what? the audience I've, responds. I've been on stage. I followed a woman, and uh, she had a lot of TV credits, but she had no material, and it was unbelievable. You know, you forget. When you do something, you forget. It's like you're a trained fighter, you're a trained radio person. You forget that in order to do it, you've developed a certain set of skills. Yeah. And like in Boston, they have a St. Patrick's Day breakfast where the politicians try to be funny, and it, it's it's excruciating. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you forget, oh, yeah, I, I, I do this all the time. It'd be like me trying to give a speech. Before I came on this show, I talked to Nick DiPaolo, you know, your buddy. Sure. And he says, well, 
Joe and I always talk about politics, and I said, "Well, no, he nobody can't help himself. Though. No, no, nobody, <laughs> nobody talks to me about politics. I'm just, I'm just not that smart. Good. I'm I'm done with politics. I'm gonna quit. Yeah. I'm not, I don't want to talk about you it know, anymore. You, you know where we are in this country now is like, um, well, I, 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 I kind of. Uh, I don't like to not like someone because of what they believe. So I, I just kind of do silly shit. I was thinking the other day with the Democrats, you know, I'm going to run. I'm going to run. And they, but they've got the moderate lane, the um, progressive lane. So I'm going to run in the breakdown lane. You know, just a silly little shit, you know. Um, I try to, you know, keep it upbeat, whatever. But I, I got into this. I fell into this because I kept thinking I'm going to get an acting job and I won't do stand-up. <laughs> this is going to fucking end at some point. You know what I mean? Right. And I, I have, you know, I, like people, kids would, will actually ask me for advice. And I say, advice? Are you shitting me? I fell into this shit. I expected it to end. But I say, all right, you want some advice? Don't ever work at a place that's named after the guy. Like if it's Vinny's fucking pizza parlor or Joey's shithole or Bobby's money-making piece of shit. When it's named after the guy, it's never enough. You what know? about Nick's comedy style? Nick's. Now, I'm going to do something for you. Okay. We're going to play a little scene. Okay. Now, you ask me, say, is Nick's a mafia joint? Is Nick's a mafia joint? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, is this is Nick still around? One hundred percent. Yeah, Nick's is around. Was and, it the same and, ownership? And, and do you know that there isn't one inch of that building that I didn't do coke in? I believe that it was it was really something. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was like I know that you know I lived in L.A. many years ago, and it's like I'm driving around and um, say, oh, I know that spot. So with Nick's, I know every spot in the building. By the way, I didn't know that this was a camp area. Oh, you see all the campers? Yeah, right out in front of your yeah. place. They're There's... everywhere. <laughs> well, they they find these side streets where the yes. cops won't kick them out. Yeah. And semi-homeless people. They're not homeless. They just have mobile homes. You know what it is? The, the homeless people here are so peaceful. They're like a, they're like the caravan. You know, they just, they don't bump change. They don't do anything. They just kind of walk around. I'm, I'm sitting in front of your building here. It was like a fashion show for the homeless one guy comes by with a buffalo bills jacket and the other guys then you know and they're just quietly talking to themselves some and you know what's freaking me out i've only been here 12 hours but everybody is either really soft-spoken or i'm losing my fucking hearing because <laughs> like even at the i'm renting the car and the woman says did you want a, a, a honda did you want to sit i said what what did you want a son that said, what? You know, in Boston, it'd be like, what do you want for a car? You want to be upgraded? You know, yeah. it's, it's like the noise pollution. Well, it's louder there and colder and people are angrier. It's a different place. Out here, it's just, even the homeless people, they don't have it so rough. If you're going to be a homeless person, this is the place to go. People are very open-minded. It's relaxed. It's warm. I mean, the cold as it gets is like 40. That's as cold as it ever gets. Yeah, but you know, if you're giving advice to homeless people, it's like, like I was, I was sitting in Westwood in a Starbucks, right? And it's the guy was just sitting there, you know, and all these people are having their lattes and shit, and he's just, you know, 
you know, one of those crazy laughs. Everybody's just going along with their conversation. You know, the uh, I don't know what to say about about the homeless thing. Have you ever been downtown? Have you ever seen uh, I myself, Skid Row? I, I, I myself was homeless when I was like 16. I was a hippie. My yeah. father passed away when I was 15. and I, It was a different time, you know. No, I haven't been downtown. You, you were homeless for like how long? I was a hippie. It's different than being homeless, but a couple of years. Really? You know? Yeah. I, uh, I, you know the worst moment? I was lying. I was downstairs in this guy's house, and I overheard his girlfriend saying, no, he was saying to his girlfriend, I don't know. I keep asking the guy to leave. But, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, I, here's what happened to me, Joe. I read Jack Kerouac on the mm. road, okay? So I wanted to be Jack Kerouac, and I wanted to be a writer. So I did everything that Kerouac did except write. You know, I was living in YMCA's and drinking the wine and the whole thing. But it was a whole different country then. Why didn't you start writing? Was it one of those things like eventually you'll start writing? Right now, I wanted to be yet. a writer. I didn't want to fucking write. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like you writing's want to be an the, artist. You don't want to paint. Writing's the hardest job in the world. It's I don't tough, know how people do it. But we did this movie, which I'd like to mention. And Bill Broadus wrote this movie. It's called Sweeney Killing Sweeney. And uh, you can get it on iTunes. Um, it's out right now? Pre-order it. When's it out? It's going to be the middle of March, but they can pre-order it. Okay. But um, this guy, Bill Broadus, wrote this script. And it's like my twenty-something movie. I've been in a lot, done a lot of acting, and I said this thing is so good. And I wanted to be able to get guys who I knew were tremendously talented to uh, not be in these clubs. You know, um, it's very like demeaning sometimes. You know, for a guy who's really good at what he does, and somebody's like texting and you know all this mm. bullshit like i had a woman uh, you know usually i'm i'm like okay about it you know i say okay listen you're putting us out of work like in the future i'll text you a joke then you text back lol you know silly little shit but i had one woman and she's the arrogance you know and it was a benefit too and she's doing this and she said it's okay i can multitask so I said, oh, okay. So when I stick it up your ass, you're still going to be able to talk and everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I see guys like Stephen Wright, who's in the movie, Nick DiPaolo, Bobby Slayton, uh, Jonathan Katz, you know, all different styles of comedy, to Lenny Clark and Tony V and Frank Santarelli. I wanted, to, I wanted to see them get in something where we could really work, you know? And they all did it. They're all in the movie, and it was a fantastic experience woman director lisa mola and it was just it was great it's the first time i produced a movie which is really hard what is it a, a like a dramatic movie like what is it i'll tell you the plot briefly no i guess it's a comedy but it has its moments is uh the hbo maybe or showtime or some company comes to town and they want me but they say the characters they're too local got to get rid of the characters so then my characters try to kill me. So I play five different parts, six different <laughs> parts. Like a Peter Sellers kind of thing oh, okay. from Doctor Strange. So like you're losing that. your mind? Like your characters are trying well, to kill you? Well, you got to figure that out. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. You don't know whether I'm losing my mind. Um, 
But I had just come off the equalizer with Denzel Washington. I was in that. And uh, that was an interesting experience because, like, I got this beard, you know, and um, the director who did training day, he said to me, you know, you got to shave your beard. And I said, listen, man, I saw my face 25 years ago. It scared the shit out of me. This beard is here for a reason. I'm, I'm the most ugly motherfucker I've ever seen. I can't do it. Then he told me how much money I was going to make. I said, would you like me to shave my balls, too? <laughs> Similar experience, something about Mary. So my scene, if you haven't seen it, Ben Stiller's thing's caught in the zipper. So I, uh, I'm the cop. I come in the window. And Peter directed it. I said, you know, I don't have to grab his crotch, right? He says, yeah, you're an actor. You've got to grab it. I said, I don't have anything against it, but I, ju I just can't do it. Then he told me how much money I was going to make. I said, you want me to just grab it because I'll give it him? Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was my experience with that. Do you really feel like it's demeaning working clubs? Because I still enjoy working clubs. I love it. I mean, out here, of course, we do the comedy store all the time. I do the improv. But yeah. I do clubs on the Those road, too. Those audiences are easy. They're great. They're, they're, they're there like, to laugh. You mean like shitty clubs? You mean like uh, bar gigs? You know, here's the thing is when I'm on stage, I'm okay. You know, but when I'm driving to fucking East Methuen Elks Club, it bothers I, you that I get a fucking depression you wouldn't believe. It's you funny start, because you start to feel old. In the day, like driving to those gigs was awesome, yeah. right? Like something shifts. Like what is it that shifts? Is it is it in your own head? Is it is it just that you've done too many of you them? You know what I think shifts is you stop drinking. Ah, I've been sober twenty six years. That's the problem. That's well, the problem. <laughs> I, yeah, I say to people, I say, <laughs> if I kept drinking, my career would be through the roof, you know? Mm. Um, no, there are great clubs. Giggles is a great club. It's a great club. Route 1 on Saugus. Good pizza, too. And Good pizza, and, and I'll do a theater. I love that. Uh, I'm just giving you the other side of the story because, you know, people do get into this, and they don't have an idea of what the life is like. Yeah. You know what I mean? To be on the road. and Like a lot of my friends are now doing cruise ships. Those are depressing. You're trapped. And if you eat shit on a cruise ship, yeah. you, you're stuck with those people for seven days. Well, that's, that's the problem. And they keep coming up to you. You were awful. <laughs> you personally ruined our whole vacation. We're from Ohio. We had never even seen the ocean. You ruined it. And then they'll say to you, this is true. You, you, they'll say, oh, you stay on the ship? No, actually, I swim next to the <laughs> ship. Then when we're 150 miles out in the shark-infested water, they scoop me up, tell a few stupid jokes, then they throw me overboard. You know, I, I got fired from a cruise ship for the weirdest, for a religious joke. And, uh, you know, I said this this dumb joke about Mitt Romney. I like Mitt Romney because it's hard being a Mormon in Massachusetts. It was always just me and Mitt. I thought I was Mormon. My father kept saying, you're a moron. So silly little joke. Uh, and they that's what they complained about. They fired about. you for that? They complained about Jesus I never Christ. fit in anyway with those cruise ships. You no. know, it's it's really good if you if you are an active alcoholic. You'll knock. It's wonderful. Or if you're addicted to food. Oh my God! Yeah, the you lunch buffet, eating. the breakfast buffet, the midnight buffet. I know it's like a, you 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 go on. You look like a normal be human being. You get off the ship. You're like waddling. 
Yeah, yeah. There's a lot but, of people. And there's that the love manufactured you. fun. It's like I I love your warehouse here and everything. And you know what I like about it? it's quiet. You know, a lot of these gyms sound sound and these cruise ships. You can't even go to the pool without hearing '80s disco. You know, it's like this thing. Have a good time. If you're not having a good time, there's something fucked up about you. You know, have a good time. Well, I think what they're trying to activity, do is, activity, yeah, activity, activity. Give people something to fill their time with when they're stuck on a floating vessel yeah yeah i'm not interested Me but neither. i still love clubs i still enjoyed going to clubs. you know what's great in a club i mean I'm, I'm i probably overstated the other one but i'll tell you what does shift is when people are there to see you that's good yeah that's a nice thing because then you're actually able to make people feel good and in service but i've always had the same problem joe is uh when people try to help you by heckling or whatever, and they think you know this is the help or whatever, I, it's it's like uh, you know you're a fighter. You you feel that temper come up, you know, when it comes up quick, and you gotta you gotta contain it and yeah. react. And but like in real life, I wouldn't want to know those people. Right. They yeah. So every They're job has your timing. Yeah, and I just feel like, you know, you prepare this material and you've you've uh, worked on it. You want to give it to people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I'm well, not complaining. I've made com my living out of this, you know. So, I mean, it's just you you want to be realistic. Like when some kid asks you, you know, what, what what is it like, you know. Yeah. You, you know what? You know, an audience I hate is an open mic audience. Why? Because the other comedians, they're really tense. You know what I mean? They're really fucking tense. Right. Because they're thinking that it's like an audition. Right. They're nervous. Yeah. So you feel it in the air. You feel it in the air, man. Yeah, yeah but if you can go up and be smooth. I remember Teddy Bergeron going up an open mic night. There's another one I wanted to stop doing comedy when Teddy was in his prime. Yeah. Uh, when I first started in 1988, the first night I ever went on, Jonathan Katz was hosting at Stitches, and uh, Teddy went on and did a set, and I was like, good Lord. His fucking timing, his material, everything was so sharp and so good. It just seems so unattainable. It seems so yeah. out of reach. Yeah. You know? So that was a, a thing like about open mic nights in Boston, like pros would stop in. They'd stop in and let you know how it really should be going. Well, I was at the comedy store when uh, Richard Pryor was working shit out and he'd start on a Monday and he'd go up, he'd bomb, didn't matter. He's working the material. A week later he had this unbelievable set. Yeah, I worked with George Carlin. I worked with Rodney Dangerfield. I work. The best part about being in this business, for me, is the people that I've worked with. You know, mm. just meeting them and seeing them and seeing them, seeing people great at what they do. You know, I'm sure you feel that way with MMA, whatever. You know, sure. Yeah, well, both well, comedy as well. You know, I mean, it's um, it's been amazing watching people develop their acts and and know and just to know that that's that's a process that we all have to go through. You know, the, yeah. the, the the process of creating material, it never gets any easier. It's always hard. I mean, to this day, when you're working out new material, it's probably weird, right? It's funny. The material seems to come to me. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm at that point where it just sort of, the events write it, you know, right. Bob Kraft right. and the whole thing. And, you know, but here's what I don't like about, I'm, is, does this sound like a bitch session right now? No. Are you sure? Yeah, we're just talking shop. Okay. Uh what I don't like is it's Trump all day, mm -hmm. and then all the late night shows, it's more Trump. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's no escape from this. Well, that's what they think people want to hear. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's that creative, though. It gets a little tiresome. Yeah, I think so. Especially after two years. Unless you got something really funny to say. I always keep the door open. Someone's got something really funny to say. You never know, you know? You know here's Stormy Daniels is doing stand-up now? You know, that's another thing. (laughs) (laughs) People fucking, you know what I mean? She's probably got five minutes of material. If that. And she's, you know, there were guys... Um, I think it was Richard Lewis and Dennis Miller and a couple of other guys came through Nick's and they didn't want to close. You know, they'd follow me again. Of course. I watched some of those sets. And, and then I said, uh, one of them said, you know, I'm going to, can I middle? I said, sure. I'm going to get your money though, right? He said, oh no. I said, well, what the fuck? You're the headliner, you know. Well, but was, I mean, I followed uh, uh, Jay Leno at the uh, at the Improv. You know, you got to follow people. Yeah, you got to follow people. But in all fairness, uh, what I used to see, and I saw this many times at Nick's, was some poor fuck who had like a couple of TV credits, who thought yeah. he was hot shit, and they would go on and they would headline at Nick's, and they would stack the deck and it would be horrendous <laughs> it was you and lenny and fucking Knox and all these savages would go up and boston style comedy where there's no breaks it's just mm. fucking bang bang yeah, bang yeah, right. bang yeah. there's a style of comedy like a hey i know you worked all day you don't want to hear anybody bullshitting up here everybody right. talks fast and they're fucking funny and gavin yeah. would go up and okay. murder and then these yeah. poor bastards would go up after them and just these yeah. people with their TV credits, you would see them just be, within five minutes, they'd be lost. They'd be very observational. Have you ever gone to an airport Well, they just noticed? didn't expect that. They would see three yeah. world-class headliners do 15 hey, I'll, minutes I'll, in I'll, front I'll t- of them. I'll tell you a funny story about Nick's. Sam Kennison, right? He, he, you know, he had been up for a few days, obviously. But anyway, he, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You know the era. So I said, and Sam was a good friend of mine. He was a nice guy when he was straight. He had a dark side, you know, like we yeah. all do. Yeah. But I said, Sam, this isn't, you know, this isn't L.A. You know, these guys, you know, Joey the Job and Billy the Front and fucking, yeah. you know what I mean? They're sitting up front and he's, you know how Sam was. And I said, Sam, I'm telling you, these are the wrong guys to piss off. Yeah. They had to fire him because... You know those guys. They'll kill you. They, they don't. They don't have any sense of humor. No, no. Well, not only that, they don't, they don't want to be fucked with. Yeah, there's oh, just no. two. Right. Boston is some of the weird. Some of the weirdest people in terms of like the way the rest of the world works. The, they're ready to fight. There's a lot of people that are ready to fight. They're ready yeah. to fight you. They're not going to shoot you or stab you. They're going to beat right. the fuck out of you. Right. And they're going to do it right then and there. Yeah. And it'll, it'll happen anywhere. It'll happen at a restaurant. It'll happen at a bar. It's one of the last places that we, when we used to Where tour things there. Things are ready to break out. Well, yeah. you would see real fist fights. Yeah. Like all the time. Like Ari Shafir used to say that. Like uh, me and him, uh, we were leaving uh, Faneuil Hall once and there was a fucking brawl breaking out in front of this McDonald's. And he's like, you, you fucking people are savages <laughs> here. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's a different kind of human. It's cold for too much. The women are assholes. Like, oh, it's, yeah, the men yeah. are assholes. Everybody's yeah. ready to fight and everyone's drunk. It's a different kind of place. Well, you know, the I grew up in Charlestown, right? They did a movie about the town yeah. and all that yeah. bullshit. It's a bullshit movie. But anyway, I grew up over there. 
and you didn't have to win, but you had a fight. Yeah. And my record was probably like two wins and 30 losses. And then two, you know, there was a lot of draws because they break it up right, right. away, you know. But there were actual fist fights. Yeah. No, one time I'm in the projects, this kid, Davey Ladder, he did the one thing you're not supposed to do. He kicked me in the balls. Oh. And then everybody jumped and beat the shit out of him. <laughs> the one thing about kicking people in the balls, too, don't ever miss. Yeah. Because then the other guy gets very mad. It doesn't work as good as people think it does. It oh, hurts. Really? It hurts. Now, were you in street fights? I started fighting to avoid street fights. So I know I was exactly scared of street what you fights. Mean. I wanted to fight like as a, as an amateur, like in martial arts tournaments, because I was scared of street fights. <laughs> it was, wow! It seemed to me, it seemed to me to they are frightening. It's fucking terrifying. You never yeah. know what's going to happen. People follow you around. You never know when it's going to. I, I I was scared of fighting. That's why I got into it. I was I just I did not like. Do that you feeling. remember that day when you're in grammar school and a kid offers you out? Yeah. At eight thirty in the morning, you so think from about it eight thirty in the morning till three in the afternoon, what's that yeah. running down your pants? Did you just shit yourself? Yeah. And then you're in the schoolyard, and they're all circling around you, you know, and it's this whole thing. But my father used to train fighters, boxers, over at the New Garden Gym, and me and my brother, we would get into terrible fights. And my father never sh taught us how to throw. <laughs> a throw a shot or anything. It just give us these big, enormous freaking gloves. And they just let you go to war on each other? Yeah, it was weird. Why didn't he teach you? Probably tired from teaching people all day. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. Well, maybe he wanted yeah. us to beat the shit out of each other. You know, right. it, it, oh, I don't know. What, I, that's a good question. I've maybe you want to just figure it out on your own. Yeah. Or, it's, you know, I remember coming back and um, this kid... He beat the shit out of me, Bobby Buckley. And my father said, what are you doing at home? You got to go back out there. What? You got to go back out and fight him again? I said, fucking all right. Yeah. But I, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be like in Charlestown growing up. I mean, I was, I grew up with some guys that were like unbelievable. Like, you know, there's a, there's a whole moral thing maybe or a social thing about say robbing a bank. I mean, yeah. would that ever freaking cross your mind? No, but that's a Charlestown thing. That's one thing yeah, that is but, true about that movie, The Town. But but what I was in awe of people that would do it. It's like, yeah. where do you get the balls to, you know? And I'll never forget this friend of mine, Joey Rocco, who's no longer with us. So I see him up at Government Center. You remember Government Center? Yeah. So I see him up there, and he's got like his lunch. And um, I said, Joe, how you doing? And he kind of blew me off. Then I see him a week later. He says, hey, Sweens, what's up? I said, what's up? You blew me off a week ago. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I was waiting to rob Crimson Travel, and I had my gun there. and I was interrupting, <laughs> I was interrupting his work. So he came into Nick's Comedy Stop. There were 400 people. I did fantastic. I was like practically a standing ovation, whatever. So Joe's in the audience, right? And I... I so I talked to him afterwards. So there's a number of things he could say. Like, geez, I liked his show. I didn't like your show. Good for you getting out of Charlestown. He gave me this look. I was like, wow, there's got to be a lot of money in here. I said, you think I'm here to case the joint for you? <laughs> it was unbelievable. We used to... Uh, Part of the thing about Charlestown growing up was you had a shoplift. That was. Did you do that when you were a kid? I, sh I got caught shoplifting candy 
once. Candy, yeah, you were bad. You yeah. probably were terrified, right, of getting terrified. caught? Terrified. I got brought into a manager's office. I think I was 12. Oh, yeah. I got in trouble. I was terrible, too. I was so paranoid. But anyway, there was a department store called Jordan Marsh, and my job was to catch the football. They'd throw me the football. I'd catch it and run down Tremont Street, so we've just, you know, stolen a football, right? So that's that was right. the gig. So one time I'm up there, and uh, this other kid says to me, pick up the end of this canoe. I said, what? He said, grab the end of the canoe. We're stealing a fucking canoe. Now, <laughs> So we're walking down Washington Street in Boston with a canoe, right? Now, I don't know where you're from, but it's not a big item in Charlestown. Canoes in the projects, you know right. what I mean? It's like not something you, could, you couldn't fence it. Did you take so, it to the Charles River? I don't know what we did with it. You do try to. You end up either giving it away or selling it for like three bucks. But that know? was back then. The, the river was very, very dirty. Like you, I used to swim in that. Oh. That was the... Um, what we used to call the oilies because there was so much oil in it. Yeah. And, it's better uh, now, though, right? Didn't they clean it up a little bit? That's what they say. <laughs> you know, they I mean, they've, they've cleaned up the whole of Boston. I don't recognize Boston anymore. They got this part of Boston called the Seaport. It's all these big buildings. It's like freaking Dubai. You know, there's no kids. There's no neighborhoods. There's no characters. It's all just gentrified. You know? Very rich people now, right? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, what is it like? Bankers? Like who? Who's got all that money? I, that's what I keep asking myself. Who? Who does have all this money? Yeah, Boston is definitely. But LA is the same way, you know. Yeah, all this, all, all money. Yeah, but there's normal neighborhoods in LA, like around here. Like you could like Woodland Hills. Like you wander around West Hills. Like uh, yeah, Studio City. There's normal neighborhoods. There's regular houses. There's plenty of but you regular know what, normal spots. What I've noticed though is. I was in Portland, Oregon, and there was a whole like city of homeless people. Yeah, in L.A., there's it, just it's sparkly, it's like Jimmy's on top of an ice cream. You know, you got to I mean? go to Skid Row. Skid, you never yeah. seen anything like it. Skid yeah. Row is a, a homeless city. It's insane. There's thousands of homeless people yeah. wandering through the streets. They, they've yeah. taken over entire neighborhoods. Like it wow. is, it is bizarre. It's bizarre. We used to film Fear Factor downtown. We would uh, film it at these uh, abandoned warehouses. They would mm -hmm. rent them out, and we would, you know, throw people off the roof and shit. And uh, we there was this one area where you would go, where and I'm not exaggerating. There might be a thousand people on this block, like a concert just let out, like they were having a homeless concert. And they're all just wandering around. There's needles everywhere and tents and garbage in the streets and, and people just shuffling around, walking back and forth. So I guess there's some homeless centers you know, where people can go and get food and things and, and shelter. You know, you know I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like, what's wrong with me? With you? Because I seem to focus on that. You know, every city I go to, I say, wow. It seems like there's more and more homeless people. And other people are saying, oh, let's go to the Freedom Trail. Let's let's look at the beauty of San Francisco. Well, the guy's shitting on the street. To me, that's like unusual. Well, San Francisco has an app where you could find where the people are shitting. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Is joking, true? right? We, we pulled it up before. Yeah. <laughs> there's so many people shitting in San Francisco <laughs> on the street. Sam, like My friend Jake Shields got a photo of this guy taking his shit right in front of him, just shit spraying out of his ass right into the street, from the sidewalk <laughs> oh, into the street. No, I don't know what. 
and they just do it in front of everybody. It's, I, I don't know why people, uh, you know, who, who's sicker, the person with the app or the guy taking a dump? Well, I think there's a certain open-mindedness that San Francisco has. A lot of very progressive, open-minded people, which is good, but the problem is it opens the door for some ridiculous stuff, like mm-hmm. people shitting on the street. Right. There's too many homeless people. Too, they're yeah. too open-minded and too liberal. Look at that. That's the... That's the shit map. <laughs> that's where all the people are shitting. That's that's a dark puddle of shit where so many people are shitting on the street in that see, area. See, that's <laughs> and I don't even know how they clean that up. I mean, what do they do? They scrape it, hose the street down. Is that Jesus an extra? Is Christ. that are they creating jobs? Let's look at it on the positive side. Oh my side. god! Maybe those uh, that, homeless that, that, people are that creating jobs. Reminds me of the parades when they used to have the horses. There's nothing you could do either. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to give these people a place to live. You're going to give these people food. You're going to give these people money. There's, it's not going to fix their mental illness. The, the, that's what people don't understand about a lot of these folks. It's not that they run on bad luck. That's, they're not on bad luck. They're mentally ill. They have their brains not working correctly. And if they don't want to be on medication, they don't have anywhere to turn. They don't have anywhere to go. They're going to stay there, and they don't have anywhere to shit. And you know, they just want to use the street. And I don't know if they could put up porta potties and say for homeless folks only. And what can they do? We're not going to solve that on the Joe Rogan show. We might. <laughs> I'm, I'm an optimistic person, Steve. I was you. always. You never I was, know. I was thinking to myself, you just, you know, just shit in your pants. Um, so anyway, we've covered that. What else is the problems that well, we have in this country? There's a lot of, a lot of the, the, uh, the, I always look at Why it is everybody st- so pissed off in this country? Because everything's going well. There's so much going well in terms of, uh, the economy, in terms of safety, in terms of that. Cause so people are focusing on other things to be mad at. When, Moving away from war to, you know, like, you know, when, when, when you don't have to worry about as much violence, people concentrate on microaggressions. That's one of the things that does happen. There's definitely problems in this country, for sure. But I think that part of the outrage is that people are, it's recreational. They're looking to be outraged about things because there's no real problems. Wow. When there's real problems, people focus on, you know, when there's, you know, you, you have to really worry about violence or you have to really worry about health People focus on, on, you know, the good things in life. People are only happy if they have a certain amount of adversity that they have to deal with. When there's less and less adversity, I, fi- I find that people become more and more outraged and easier. They're outraged at s- small minor details or they're denying that people should be allowed to just fuck up and make some mistakes here and there. They, mm. they concentrate on those mistakes like it's the end of the world. This person should be ostracized from society and kicked out, and this is the end. Well, going back to politics, if you get in a discussion with somebody you agree with, mm-hmm. you still end up being pissed off because you're pissed off at the other side. Or the other political thing is you angry at each other for different points of view yep but i always think to myself as i'm sure you do it's an amazing place to be we have enough food we have enough water i myself i think life is two things life is a gift and life is short yep you know and the purpose of life my opinion is to develop whatever talents you have and then share it so i couldn't agree more what what a what a place to do it. It's the best the, place in the world to do it. You have the opportunity, you know. And uh, But, you know, it's like we – I think we do tend to complicate things. What I don't like is when we let other things get between us as human beings because it's, it's a whole – that's why I like Buddhism, for example, because you're never going to see – 
outside of rare exceptions, a Buddhist country is never going to invade another country because the whole principle is mindfulness. In other words, it's all within you. So you don't have to push your beliefs on other people. Right. Like I have a lot of friends who become Christians, which is great for them. But they always put you in a – I always feel like I'm put in a box. Yeah. Like, have you accepted Jesus? You know, how the fuck are you going to answer that? You know what I mean? A not friend? yet. Say not yet. Keep keep convincing it's, it's, me. it's on the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. It, it's like one of those unanswerable things, you know. Well, it's also a, a thing where people can hold Muslims, Christians, it seems like they they believe that, you know, people have to hear this great message and if they don't hear it, shove it down your fucking throat. I right? think half of them don't even think you have to hear it. They just want to have it over you. That they've they've accepted Jesus into their life and you haven't, so they win. There's a lot of that. There's yeah. a lot of that. I mean, the, you see so many hypocritical Christians that don't really follow, turn the other cheek. They don't really treat everyone as if it's their brother. They they don't really do that. They don't really they don't really feel that way. They're not they're not out there well, helping that's, the poor. That's because that's that that standard mm -hmm. is like you're going to be Jesus. Right. You know, I mean Jesus Christ. I mean. <laughs> You yeah. know what I mean? No pun intended. But Who's, who can live up to that? So I'm sure it, someone can, but so most they of the people that are proselytizing aren't. No, I, I, yeah. people that proselytize anything is like, it's very, uh, you know, it's like, what? Get away from me. Yeah. You know? Well, it's a, it's a shitty psychological tactic. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's, it's just makes people, it's, we used to talk about, it's like when you try to get people to do things, they're less likely to do those things. As soon as you are angry at them that they're not doing it, they're going to go the other way. People don't like being told what to do. Well, it's just like if somebody wants to get sober, right? Right. If you, if they are ready, I work in jails. That's one of my part-time jobs. So, What do you do in jails? I do substance abuse stuff in jails. So if you, um, if they're ready, everything you say, you're like a guru. Mm-hmm. If they're not ready, doesn't matter what you say. Right. So I do groups in jail. I teach meditation. I also teach uh, goal setting. I've been doing it about six years. I've been in the field of substance abuse for a while. And um, it's very rewarding. It's not, you know, you don't make any money, but it balances the life. Yeah. You know, I don't want to sit around all day. Most comedians, that's what they have to do. You know, they work at night. Right. So, yeah, I work at Plymouth Jail. How was, often do you do it? Uh, two or three days a week, yeah. That's good. So it's not, not every day. No, and I take the summers off, too, because it's intense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've had groups. You know, I had one guy, he came in. He's a, and you do, you do divide people ethnically. White guy, but 6'6", six, six, big fucking, you know, he did state time. He was all jacked. And he was wired and uh he started complaining about the place and uh i said hey this isn't i teach him to breathe you know like that guy haas you had on your show win hop yeah but i teach him a different method it's just you breathe in four you hold it four you let it out it's just a calming breath mm -hmm. so anyway this guy i said hey the place isn't a hotel he stands up he says i don't think i know it's not a fucking hotel i said let's do our breathing <laughs> let's relax but you, a lot of guys, they can't see. They can't see themselves. 
I can't see contradictions. I had one guy, he was, in, he was a Muslim, right? So I said, so you guys pray like five times a day. How do you know when to pray? And listen to this, Joe. He says, uh, the guy said, well, if I'm doing a heist in the afternoon, you know, I'm going <laughs> to miss that prayer. You don't see any contradiction. Fucking <laughs> huh? amazing. Yeah. The guy, the big giant guy that was angry, did he have uh, a certain amount of time before he got out? Or was he in it for life? No, no, he was he was on, on his way out. He was coming close. That's when guys get the most anxious. How long had he been in for? He'd been in for about 17 years. <sighs> it's a very polite society. Really? Prison society is very polite because every little thing, just picture, you're you're trapped with all these other guys. A lot of mental health shit, a lot of stuff. But every little thing is picked up on and reacted to. You know, it's like that scene in Heat between De Niro Pacino, where they're just reacting to each other. So you say, can you please pass the salt? And the guy passed it because at any minute, that's what I try to teach is it's about impulse control. Any minute anything can happen. Yeah. You know? Well, so, you're, you're dealing with a bunch of very impulsive people that also have a very short fuse. They're, they're used to violence. Violence is one way of acting out. So what I say to them is I have the same thing, but it's not through violence. For me, it's like texting or something, you know, mm -hmm. I react or I drank, yeah. you know, so it's it's about stepping back. Staying calm. Yeah. yeah. It's hard when you get tripped up. But you, but you, the, the mind listens to the breath. Mm. That's the key. Rather than going up in your mind, take that breath. And, you know, like when something's happening, like a car crash or something, first impulse is hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Let your breath out. Mm. I mean, a lot of traditions have this, you know, Tai Chi, you know, pranayam in, in mm -hmm. yoga. So Yeah, breathing is critical. It's everything. I mean, when Wim Hof teaches it, you know, if you follow those methods, you can you can really change your physiological state. You can you can get out of a lot of things. It, it can get you through a lot of things. You know the thing that I don't buy though is that fucking cold water. I don't <laughs> want to go into the Arctic like him. Holy shit. It's because you live in Boston. Oh you get God. you get an allergy to cold. My friend Mark Delagrate, he's, he's ready to go. He's done. He's been there for too long. I we know. were just talking about of, this weekend. A lot of people they get like that, but they hit the wall. You know that I think two of the most boring subjects on earth are like how cold it is and <laughs> how wonderful the weather is out here, and then the other one is how someone lost weight. You know, I look at them like. What makes you think I give a fuck how you lost this weight? <laughs> and then they'll ask me how somebody else lost weight. Like right. Frank Santorelli lost weight, and he wanted to tell me, it's just, Frank, this is not This is a car. We have to talk about something with more substance. And then <laughs> people will say to me, how did Lenny Clark lose weight? It's like, I don't give a shit how he lost weight. You know, I'm a self-centered fucking comedian anyway, you know. <laughs> the good thing about cold weather, though, is it teaches people character. The people out here that have never had to deal with an earthquake, they don't know any weather-related, nature-related hazards. If you stay here, it just stays warm, and then it gets a little cool, and it stays warm. I spent one winter out here that I was was horrible. I was uh, trying to get sitcoms and never getting anything, and it rained every day. And really? it was it was horrible, and I was staying in one of these corporate apartments that Oakwoods Gardens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it was, it was furnished. A, it was a cheaper version, mm -hmm. 
And the guy next door was from Jamaica, and he, he was on the phone all fucking night. He said, this is the only time I can talk to her. It's got to be this time of night. I'm telling you, man, it's real important. I mean, I'm banging. You know, it's going nuts. Uh-huh. Yeah. How long you been out here? Since 94. Oh, you've been out here a while. Forever. Huh? I've been yeah. here more than anywhere else in my life. But that's my observation. You grew up in Newton, didn't you? Well, I lived there from, I lived in Jamaica Plain from, I guess, 13 to, yeah, 13 to 14. I lived there for a year, and then I lived in Newton from 14 to 20. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then I lived in Revere, and I lived in Saugus for a while. You know, you got a, you got a reputation. For what? It's a good reputation. Oh, that's good. Yeah. What did I do? <laughs> well, it's just what we were just talking about. You have a reputation as a badass. Oh, that yeah. reputation. Yeah. That's a good thing. It's mostly bullshit. I mean, it, well, mm. you had Tyson on. Yeah. And it was interesting that he didn't want to go back to it. Do you know Marvin Hagler has the same problem? Oh, yeah. Well, he was he, the only he, guy that ever just quit at he, the top. But, but he, won't, he won't punch a bag or anything because really? that thing comes up in him where he, yeah. he wants to do it again. It's like an addiction. And he's got to be 60 now. It's still, yeah, wow. still welling up inside of him. I respect him so much. You know, I always looked up to him when I was fighting because uh, I re- remember the discipline that that guy had. Like, I remember watching videos of him when he was uh, living on the Cape. He would tra- do his training camp in the Cape, yeah. and he would run. And when he was running the on bo- the sand. The boots. Yep, with yeah. combat boots on. Yeah. And he was he was yelling, war. He was, oh, like, yeah. getting ready to fight Mustafa Hampshire, and he's running and shadow boxing, yeah. and he's yelling, war. And I'm like, yeah. thinking... Could you imagine if you had to fight that fucking guy? When he was the middleweight champion of the world, first of all, he was chiseled. Like, he was sculpted out of bronze. Maybe. Like, he didn't even look like a... I mean, he was he was so jacked for a boxer. When you think about, like, most boxers, they didn't have that kind of a physique. His physique was, like, almost like a gymnast, you right. know, when he was in his prime. Yeah. And he just was so disciplined and so... Fu- and then beat the fuck out of everybody... And then lost that one very controversial fight to With Sugar Leonard, Ray Leonard. I was at that fight, yeah. Yeah, and then he was like, that's it. See ya. I've had enough. Went to yeah. Italy, yeah. became a fucking movie star, which is crazy. He said, apparently, I mean, I've never seen an Italian movie with Mar- Marvelous Marvin Hagler in it. Nobody has. <laughs> I think they I have think in Italy. It, I think it's a myth. It might be a myth. Buongiorno. Can you see him? The rumor was yeah. always that he threw the fight with Leonard, that he could have KO'd Leonard, but he that if he, all he had to do was let Leonard go to a decision, he would lose that decision. They'd pay him a boatload of cash, and he goes to Italy. What is this? I'll what tell you what, I'll is tell this you. Marvin Hagler in a movie? Yeah, I don't know. I just oh, really? <laughs> oh, he is in a movie. I've never seen that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Him. Oh, that's a long time ago because he looks real young back then. Oh, my he God. Too, so. He is in Indio one. Too. No one's ever seen those movies. Wow. So this is an Italian. Well, you know, they made all those spaghetti westerns with him. Clint Eastwood. They did all those movies in Italy. Oh, my God. Isn't that something? Those movies, those- uh, Good job. Look at you. Look at you shooting everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, he's an action that's, star. That's Isn't hilarious. That amazing? I wonder. Well, he's still jacked in that movie, so oh, yeah. he must have been doing some kind of exercising. Look at him! Oh Look my him. god, <laughs> he's punching Jesus people. They're, they're flying through the air. So Indio, it looks like. Oh, this is so wow. hilarious! This is so hilarious. So he now, definitely you know, you did know, some movies. You know, when you do a movie and the guy hits you. You're supposed to move your head so that he's not actually hitting you. Mm-hmm. 
And I hope Marvin knew oh, that. I'm sure he had. Because he, yeah. thank God, he pulled a punch. I did a movie in Boston called Southie with a guy throws me in a dumpster and kills me, right? And they had to do it over and over. Oh, and the God. guy just got out of Walpole, the state penitentiary. Um, I'm not going to mention his name, but he's he's the director now out here, as a matter of fact. And I said, hey, do you know this is a fucking movie? You so know, because <laughs> he, he's firing the fight, you know, the shot, the, the starter's pistol, and he kept throwing me over. That guy is in everything. What Brian, year is that? Brian Dennehy. This one's 1989. Yeah. 89. So 89 was probably just a few years after he retired. Wow, I feel like that. he retired somewhere around 86, 87. When did he fight Leonard? What a, what an era that was! Oh, it was amazing. We used to watch. Remember, Thomas you'd go to Hearns. see closed circuit fights. We'd oh, go yeah. to a theater and you'd watch it on a big screen. Closed I circuit. I can't tell you how many. I got so ripped off because you had Tyson on. I remember driving. I was out here to go to this big fight. Fifty bucks, and I walked in, and Tyson knocked him out in the first round. That was, was all that ever happened. People were trying to yeah, figure out what, he was if amazing. It was worth it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was. Uh, it's what it was 87 87 interesting yeah and that was it he's like i'm done so that was only two years after he retired he's doing movies but the best john the the beast mugabe Mugabe. marvin Hagler versus john the beast mugabe did marvin have hair for mugabe no i remember seeing marvin with hair at the gardens what yeah did he grow it out for a goof no, he had a hard Early head. In his career? He had a really fucking hard. He had an extra inch of skull or something. They were saying. No, it was the side temples. Is he that has what these it was? Giant temple yeah. muscles. They said he was almost like built with. Is that Mugabe? Gear. Yeah, and Mugabe was a murderous. Puncher. No, that's Thomas Hearns. No, 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 oh, no that's voice the voice of Thomas, of Thomas Hearns. That's Mugabe for sure. Mugabe, yeah. he hit Marvin Hagler with an uppercut and snapped his head back. And this is an uppercut that he was knocking everybody out, but not Marvin. Marvin took a punch better than anybody. He uh, said the fight only started Juan when he started Roldan, to bleed. I think Juan Roldan was the only guy that ever knocked Marvin down, but it wasn't a real knockdown. It was a trip, and they oh, counted it as a knockdown. He, uh, he, he was a tremendous fighter. Look but, at how inside. Look at how he gets inside. But so was Mugabe. Mugabe was a murderous wow, puncher, man. Wow. He was knocking everybody out. He knocked out Terry Norris. He knocked, he knocked people out dead. Like you would hit them, and they would go flying, but not Jesus Marvin. Jesus Christ. Marvin stood right in front of him and eventually KO'd him. And then Mugabe was never the same again. Once he realized that this motherfucker could stand right in front of him and beat the shit out of him. What is this referee stop? What is he doing? I don't know what's going on there. That's Mills Lane. Hey, hey, now that we have a break in the action, I'd like to to plug my movie, Sweeney Killing Sweeney. Yeah, middle of March. (laughs) We talked about it. It's coming out. (laughs) I want want to plug it again. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll plug it. We'll plug the shit out of it. When it comes out, we'll put it on Twitter. All right, buddy. But, uh, I appreciate that. But he was, that guy, Marvin Hagler, was to me, like, he was the epitome of discipline. You know, and I thought about, like, a disciplined fighter. Like, yeah. that, it was him. Always in shape. Always ready to go. And then the discipline to never come back. That was amazing, too, to me. I respected the fuck out of that. Because fighters never know when to, when to leave. He knew when to leave. And to this day, I've, I saw him in an interview recently. He's fine. Talks completely normal. I, I had some chowder with him at the Prudential Center. How, just, often, how often? How long he, ago, no, rather? That was maybe a year ago. He, he's a regu- very regular guy. Yeah, like no no brain damage, no no slurring no, of the words. He's fine. Yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. When yeah. a fighter can figure out how to get out before all that stuff hits. But you that's know how, you know how they feel. They feel like no one else should tell them when to quit. Oh, f- of you course. Know. Have you had Mickey Rourke on this show? No, I haven't. Yeah, I would though. Because I think 
that I read, he was fighting at 57 in Russia or oh, something. Oh, older than that. Really? I think he was 62. I think he was 62 when he had his last fight, and it might have been a fake fight. Oh, really? I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it looked like the, maybe Mickey thought it was real, and the gentleman he was fighting He's was 66. 66. Yeah. He was 66, and he was in a boxing yeah, match? He's 66 now. I, now. Was, I believe he was 62 or 63 when he had his last altercation inside the ropes. You know, fighting uh, boxing gyms, the old ones, were fun to hang around. I remember I was sitting there with these five guys, and uh, we were talking about some election. And they weren't saying anything. And the, the guy said, do you realize that we're all convicted felons? Like, why are you talking to us about who, who to vote for? <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Vote. Is yeah. that him now? That's Mickey. That's wow, look at him. Like That's him last 65. year. Looking good for 65. Looks like he's at some sort of a homeless shelter or something. Where's he getting his clothes there? He's got no shirt on. <laughs> he's in Rome, I think, like a he's fashion in, somewhere. Like. In Rome? I just saw something with him, and he was doing a... He was walking a fashion show. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen him at the UFCs before. He's always there saying hi. He's a nice guy. For, in very good shape for his age. You know? Yeah. I mean, he uh, used to spar with James Tony. He used to, uh, like, one of the things that he did that was probably very questionable was when he was at the height of his movie career. He decided to stop and become a professional boxer. A fighter. But I think he was a fighter before he was yes, an actor. Yes, he was. But when he stopped... He's down he, in Miami. I think he kind of felt like acting was fake and that he needed something real in his life, so he was going to have some professional fights. But apparently, that's why he started getting all that plastic surgery. He fucked his face up. His face was now, getting smashed in. You were an amateur MMA yeah. guy? No MMA, just kickboxing and taekwondo. Wow, kickboxing. Yeah. There was no uh, MMA when I was fighting. It didn't exist yet, at least not in America. Wow. I didn't find What's out about MMA like? until I... What's I'd, that like, being in the ring? Kickboxing. <laughs> it was nerve-wracking. The thing about it, too, is there's no money in it. You know, like, you're fighting for free, and you're, you know, you're training for months or weeks or, you know, however long mm -hmm. it is for this yeah. that you have. You're, you're constantly sparring. You're constantly getting kicked and punched. It's, uh, it's terrible for you. <laughs> but it's a good thing to learn. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very important thing to learn. To know how to fight is a very good thing. But to fight, you got to know, unless you're doing it professionally, you got to know when to stop. You got to know when. Uh, and I started getting a lot of headaches. Did that you? Was, uh, yeah, I was, I was sparring. But that's one thing about Boston. Like we're talking about Boston. Um, you know, Boston audiences are hard. Boston sparring's hard. Boston fighters, they fuck. There's not a lot of like technical sparring. Like when you technically spar with somebody, like if you hit them, you hit them like this. You uh -huh. don't, you don't hit them full blast. You know, you tap each other. Right. You know, like so you right. know, like where you right. making mistakes. There was none of that. It was just swing for the bleachers. Every fucking you know round what's, was you know war. what's like that that I still go to that what? I love is the Golden Gloves. Oh yeah. I mean, it's all action. Three right. rounds. Three but that's rounds a competition. Of what I'm talking about is training. Yeah. Like the real beatings you take are in the gym. The beatings that nobody ever sees. You know, you know what's amazing is that this friend of mine, Jimmy Farrell, had a gym in Quincy. And I'd look at these guys and I'd say, wow, this guy's amazing. He said, that guy's record is five wins and 13 losses. <laughs> and I said, that guy... I mean, that's how good yeah. you have to be. I mean, sure. these guys are like, there's, there's no, 
Well, also you know, some, and, they're inconsistent. Like a lot of fighters are very impulsive people, so they're often inconsistent. Like they'll get in shape for a few fights, and then a few other fights they'll fuck off, they drink too much, they party, and then they go yeah. in the ring and they lose, and they'll lose a close decision, or they'll lose a, lose a war. You know? isn't, it, isn't it a lot of it about style too? Sure. Yeah, yeah. My favorite fight ever uh, from a boxing point of view was Ali and Frazier. Mm-hmm. Because, well, for one thing, it was a fight to the death. Right. I mean, they literally were fighting. All three times. Yeah, to the death. But Joe Frazier was an inside fighter, and he was so low. Mm -hmm. And then Ali would stay away from him and just jab, and it was just a beautiful exhibition of fighting styles, inside fighting and outside fighting. Do you think there's anybody listening to this? That is interested yes, in this shit. They are, believe it or not. <laughs> the left hook that Joe Frazier <laughs> dropped Muhammad Ali with. Are people interested in this? Hundred percent. The left hook Joe Frazier dropped Muhammad Ali with when he won the title. When he when he beat him when Ali's yeah. comeback, and that was like oh, this is one of the greatest punches of all time. One of the most epic. Oh, uh, one of them. Yeah, I mean, just swung that wild left hook and clipped him right on the chin and dropped him. It's one of the most iconic photos of all time. Is Joe Frazier leaping through the air? Landing that left hook on the jaw of Ali and Ali going down. I'm going to go back, okay? What are you going to do? There was a guy named Floyd Patterson. Sure. Who had that. He lost to Sonny Liston. Sonny yeah. Liston. I'm yeah. just reading about Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston was a murderer. Sonny puncher. Liston was one of 25 kids. He was his, his mother, you know, of whatever. His father was like a sharecropper. Wow. And he got involved in gangs and all this and... um one of those guys, you know? I think he ended his they, career. He got shot or something. He died or no, something. No, he died of a drug overdose. Drug overdose. I think yeah. he ended his career as a like a bouncer in Vegas. Yeah. You know, like a doorman or something like that right. at a casino. But one of, those, one of those guys, like Joe Lewis, whatever. Yeah, those big guys that end up. Yeah. You know, it's a funny, funny sport. Did you ever watch that fight with him and Floyd Patterson? Uh not that one. Terrifying. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I think I may have. Terrifying. But I remember when, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Cassius Clay beat Sonny mm-hmm. Liston. Yeah. Beat him he twice. Was, he was like eight to one. That was another fight where a lot of people thought it was fixed. The second fight? The second, the second one. Fight, Lewiston, Lewiston, Maine. Maine. Yeah. The hidden punch. Well, it was a, you could see the punch. It said, they said they called it a phantom punch. You could see the punch, but it was like, uh, he called it an anchor punch because it's like, as Liston was coming forward, he dropped it down on him like that. And a lot of people say it didn't land. But you could see his head react. It definitely landed. The question was whether or not he decided to stay down once he got hit. And I think he did. If you watch it, it just doesn't look realistic. Like if you watch yeah. when he goes down, the way he went down seemed maybe legit. But the way he stumbled around, it, he didn't stumble around like a guy whose central nervous system got jacked. Here, we can watch it right here. Oh, 1965, my God. Wow, what a great baby. producer you've He's got. He's the best. Watch wow. this. Look at this. Bink. See, that's a real punch, 100%. And the, dro- the him dropping is real, too. There's no doubt about it. The question was whether that was enough to take him out. Look at that. Bink. It could have. But watch the case. See if you can find the knockout, Jamie, because the, what's, not, what's crazy about it wasn't him dropping him, because I think that was legit. What's crazy was how afterwards he stumbled around like he couldn't move, like he couldn't get up. It just didn't seem real. We just had it there. That was like a long, long explanation. I don't know if they're going to show the actual thing. It's like well, they, stuff. they just showed him trying to get up. That guy looks like Kevin Spacey. <laughs> 
Oh, six inch I don't know punch. if that was the actual. Wow. Here it is. Here it is. Play it. Watch. Here's the punch. Boom. Now watch. He goes down, and he just sort of laid down on his back. And then he kind of stumbled around and acted like he couldn't get up. They just keep showing it over and over again. It was 100% a legitimate punch. And people who say it's not, they've never seen people get KO'd. Because people get KO'd in all sorts of weird ways. It doesn't really make sense. Like, it's a human being getting punched in the face, weird shit happens. Especially you get punched on the jaw. Like, people get touched with, like, a jab sometimes and they go out. It doesn't make sense. And also sometimes, here it is, it's right here. It's also sometimes it's weird because uh, you might have gotten hurt real bad in training. So a lot of guys come into these fights and they're already injured. They they just, boom, right there. Now let's watch him okay. stumble around. Right. So he goes down and he lays down on his back. See, this is where I'm not buying it. This just seems like horseshit. But I could be wrong. Now he's stumbling. See, like right there, that seemed like he decided to stumble and go down. And he's trying to get back up. I, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm not buying it. And so uh, the referee was Jersey Joe Walcott, who's uh, wow. a very famous yeah, champion of his own. Yeah. But now they stopped they the fight. Now, why did the they stop off? the fight? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember. Well, you know, in the first fight, fifth round, I think it was. Liston put some white stuff on his gloves. Yeah. And he blinded. This mm -hmm. is how crooked the game was. He blinded Ali. Yeah. Cassius Clay. So Liston wasn't above, you know. Cheating. Yeah. Do you remember that fighter? Oh, my God. This is so frightening. He he wrapped something in his. Louis Resto. Yeah. Was it cement Billy or Collins something? Jr. No, he took all the, the padding out of his gloves. Back in the day, they, they used to use horse hair. With uh, the gloves, and you could you could put a little hole in the gloves and pull the padding out. And uh, Louis Resto, Panama Lewis was his trainer, and Panama Lewis was also the same guy that gave uh, Aaron Pryor that little uh, jab of cocaine right before uh, he knocked out Alexis Arguello. Remember, I mean, they think it was cocaine. He said, wow. "Give me the other bottle, the one that I prepared." He gives it to Aaron Pryor, and then Aaron Pryor goes out and starches Alexis Arguello. And they had a crazy war of a fight, and then he gives him something in this little bottle, and then Aaron Pryor goes out like a bat out of hell. And wow. went, and the the question was always what was in that bottle because there was no sophisticated drug testing back then. But Panama Lewis. But there was one of them that actually put cement or something in their gloves. Um, there was that. That was a more recent one. That was no. uh, that Mexican gentleman that fought. Uh, who did he do that to? Is that the redhead? I'm no, 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 no. He doesn't doesn't fight anymore fuck I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name but he he beat up some really prominent fighters that way see who the fuck did he there was a one fight in particular boy i'm seeing the guy in my face margarito yes antonio margarito, antonio margarito who pull pull up his record because he did it to uh he did it to some like legit fighters and uh, really beat them up, and they were like, it didn't even make sense how hard he was hitting me. 
because he he would put plaster of Paris apparently inside the wraps. And then at Miguel the, Cotto, that's who it was. Yeah, right. And, and then, then it, Miguel Cotto beat the shit out of him in the rematch. And Shane Mosley, Sugar Shane Mosley, beat the fuck out of him when they found this. See, after he knocked out Miguel Cotto, when he beat him up in the eleventh round, he stopped him, and it was a horrible stoppage too. He beat the shit out of him. Then the Shane Mosley fight was the fight that he lost. That was the next fight. And sh during the wrapping of the gloves, Shane Mosley's camp was to go, what the fuck is in his wraps? They recognized it and had him rewrap his hands. And then Shane Mosley beat his fucking ass. And then he beat Robert Garcia. And then Manny Pacquiao fucked him up. And then Miguel Cotto fucked him up. Um, but the Miguel Cotto fight, the first one, it was it was bad. I mean, his face was busted up. And, right. and that's when people had suspicions. But they didn't know until they saw the wrapping of the gloves. And then they looked at every one of his fights before that, and they would go, oh, this motherfucker had plaster Did you ever see the movie um, Fat City? Fat City. Stacy Keach. It's about club fighters down in Stockton, California. No, it's no. a fantastic movie. I don't think one I ever saw that. One of Jeff Bridges' first movies. Yeah? And John Huston directed it. It was one of the best fight movies ever. This fight that I was talking about earlier, the Louis Resto fight, this Billy Collins Jr. guy, was uh, he was an up-and-coming contender, and he was blinded in the fight, and he could never fight again. Wow. This kid uh, that he fought, Louis Resto, they pulled all the padding out of the gloves, and he just fucked up this guy's face to the point where you know he had detached retinas, and he couldn't see straight, now, and when, became an alcoholic afterwards. When, when there he is right there. Look at his face. Wow. Yeah, and it became a, uh, a, a really big... A big story. Salt with a deadly weapon yeah. right there. I think at the end of the other guy's life or at some point he admitted that he did it. There was some documentary about it that the guy finally admitted that he was using. Oh, people know. have done that forever. People have done that forever. I was sparring with a guy once and I went to touch his gloves and I was like, what the fuck is in your gloves? And his padding had all been, it was those old style, old style boxing gloves. The padding had all been pushed back and it was like, it was all like almost raw knuckle. People are assholes. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've experienced that before. What's interesting now is that people are actually fighting bare knuckle. There's a whole bare knuckle boxing organization out of Wyoming. Do you have all your knuckles? Yeah, they're all there. They've been, some I got of them one broken up. One that was broken. Yeah. Oh, wow. It moves weird. Yeah. Clicks. That was Bobby Salvi's nose. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Salvi. Is there a more fucking Boston name than Bobby Salvi? <laughs> Bobby Salvi. I fucking hit him with a fucking overhand fucking left. He fucking went down like a mm. fucking sack of potatoes. You know what's good, too, is the rap. You know, when guys going to fight, you know, like... Rapping at the hands. Uh, well, no, it's like I used to beat guys like you up on the way to a fight. Practice falling, asshole, you know, all that shit. I like yeah. that. Just like in basketball, you know, the... the, the uh, trash talk. Trash and talk, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it works. There's the thing about when someone gets inside your head, someone's really mean well, to you. Well, that, that, I was kind of thinking that. When you see Liston and Ali, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How could, like, it looked like... Liston was like afraid of him. How could he be? Well, if you, know, you go back to that stronger. fight, the reason why, and this is Ali did this on purpose, he acted like a crazy person because he's like that Sonny Liston was a bully and Sonny Liston was a big scary man and what he felt like Sonny Liston would be afraid of is a crazy person, someone who wasn't afraid of him. So in all the press conferences and all the different things leading up to the fight, he would scream at him. He would show up at Sonny Liston's house and honk the horn in the middle of the night and get on his lawn and scream and yell at him. 
Like he did a lot of crazy shit to Sonny Liston to fuck with him psychologically. He wanted Sonny. He, he wanted Sonny. He did. He, he did it psychologically. Didn't he, he wanted Sonny Liston to think that he was a crazy person, and that you know that he would never stop. Yeah. And that's. I mean, he, he essentially did it. And there was one point in time when uh, they were. Um, see, we just let me hear some of this. He he Isn't made him know that he wasn't right scared there? of him. Yeah. He let him know he wasn't scared of him, and they, they were doing his blood pressure, and his blood pressure was so high, his heart rate was so high, they weren't going to let him fight. They're like, what Sonny, are you doing? Sonny's no, one? no, Ali's. He had to calm himself down, because he got himself worked up into a lather. He was just so, so angry and so, you know, so hyped up, trying to act like a crazy person, that when they were doing his pre-fight medicals, they were like, hey, you know, like, you can't fight, you're fucking, there's something wrong with you. And mm. they had, they, here it is, they're calming him down. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> he had to relax and calm down. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest yeah. of all time. I beat them all. He was just so, so smart at like psychological warfare. There'd never been any anybody like him psychologically that could just, he would, he, first of all, he was very funny. He would say hilarious shit. Like Howard Cosell t said to him, Tramp, Champ, you seem very truculent. He goes, whatever truculent is, if it's good, I'm that. <laughs> <laughs> That's and the right. timing, the timing yeah. was just perfect. He, so he would you know, say things that were funny. He would say poetry. He had that guy Bondini Brown behind him. Yeah, and they were, always, you know, they were always like laughing and joking around together. Like he had a tremendous support team. And on top of that, he could fight his fucking ass off. And he was a heavyweight that moved around like a middleweight. Unbelievable. I mean, he was a 200 plus pound, 215, 220 pound man. And he would shuffle and move and bob Amazing. and weave. And he would be out there think, almost like a welterweight. Do you think he's the greatest? Boy, it's hard to say who's the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he's certainly in the conversation. I mean... You would have to say, how would he have done against some of the bigger, stronger guys of the of the past, like a Lennox Lewis, who uh, you know was in his prime, in the high two hundred forty pound range. He was a much bigger, mm. much bigger guy. But there was nobody like. You see, Ali also comes in two stages. There's Ali before nineteen sixty seven when they took his license away, and there's Ali after nineteen seventy when he came back. And when he came back, he was never as fast. He was never as fleet of foot because he didn't work out at all for three years. He didn't do shit. He didn't do shit. No. And when he came back, his return fight, um, uh, he just didn't look right. He didn't look like he had the same movement. His body didn't have the same musculature. He just, uh, he fought um, Jerry, no, it wasn't. Jerry Quarry? Jerry Quarry. That's who it was. And he beat him, you know, he, he beat him up, but he just didn't look like the now, you, Muhammad you, Ali that fought. Do you, like do you still Williams. go to boxing matches? Yeah, yeah, I'll still go to boxing matches. I love yeah. watching on TV. Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I try not to go to too many live events anymore because I go to so many of them with the UFC. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to go and, you know, go go see more of them live. But I, I do enjoy them, you know. Yeah. It's nothing like being ringside for um, – Golden Gloves. Have you ever been to a UFC fight? No. Will you come? I'll get you tickets. Sure. Next time we're in Boston, I'll hook it up. All right. Because we go to Boston almost every year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I love put it. Put some big fights together in Boston. Yeah, I want you to go. It's crazy. It's wild. You see it live. I'll get you 
gets it right there on the floor, <laughs> right in front of the cage. It's amazing. Yeah, so it's something that'll, something unique. That'll be a good date. Yeah, it's um, it's way wilder. Like when you get used to watching the UFC, sometimes it's. I mean, I really appreciate boxing. Uh, I love it as a sport. I love it as a, as a just as a martial art. I appreciate the elite of the elite, but it's it's not as wild. The UFC because there's takedowns and kicks and strangleholds and arm bars. It's just way more wild. Yeah, it's way it's way more exciting. It's like a street fight. It's like a super technical street fight between trained killers. That's what it's like. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. No, I mean it. I want to thank you. I mean it. <laughs> listen, when me, when I was coming this up. This is like a boxing show we just did. <laughs> yeah, who cares? We that's do whatever right. we want. They say you don't have it, Mohammed. We can do whatever we want, man. That's the beautiful thing about podcasts. You do yeah. whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. But you were a big inspiration of mine. Huge. Thank you you Thank and, you. and uh, all those legends of Boston comedy. And to this day, I think I saw some of the best comedy of my life ever um, when I was a young man coming up. And when I was uh, just starting out and, you know, opening for guys like you. And, you know, you know, you know what made it special is nobody was doing it as a job. We were all just doing it. Yeah. Because they said, I want to do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there was no forethought or afterthought. It was mm -hmm. just, I mean, that's what I still love about uh, performing, you know, acting or stand up is you're in the moment. Right. Right. You're, you're in the moment. Well, Fitzsimmons yeah. is a good buddy of mine, and uh, Greg Fitzsimmons, yeah. we started out together. Yeah. We talk about it to this day that back then, we didn't think of having a career. Like, what are you talking about, a career? The the best thing that we could ever envision was one day we'd be able to pay our bills doing stand-up comedy. That's right. That's all we would hope for. Yeah. Because I would look at guys like you or all the, the, the Boston guys that were getting, you know, that were making a living. I was like, these guys you don't know, even I, have a job. I, used to, I, I watched this, those guys myself, and I was in awe. Guys like Kenny Rogerson, I see. Sure. What a mind. Yeah. Or Stephen Wright. I mm -hmm. mean, they do things I can't do, you know? Yeah. And they, the way they can create jokes. Oh, I did a movie with Rodney back to school, and I just watch him, you know, create these jokes. Yeah. You know, like the one line, like a haiku poem. I go to the dentist the other day for yellow teeth. He says, wear a brown tie, you know? <laughs> Your mind's going in one direction. Yeah. And I'll hey. tell you another guy who's a fantastic joke writer. Uh, he could, he, the jokes he did, he couldn't, you couldn't do now, is Martin Mull. Martin Mull. From, yeah, Martin Mull. From that television show. What was yeah, that show? Fernwood Tonight. He was on The Tonight Show, and... Uh, Johnny said, how you doing? He said, Johnny, I'm as busy as jumper cables at a Puerto Rican wedding. <laughs> you couldn't do that joke today. Uh, he said, he said, he said uh, I was watching Roots for 20 minutes. No one scored a basket. I turned it off. <laughs> so, by the way, that's Martin Mull. That's not me. <laughs> and it's not Joe. Did you like um, that, the documentary when stand-up stood out? I did not participate in that. How come? Because uh, I didn't want my family to go through watching that. How so? Yeah. What do you mean? Uh, it was about the decadence of it all and drugs and all that. I, I like to think, you know, the important thing is the work. Yeah. You know? Well, it was a little bit about the decadence, but it was also about this I was really unique about thing. Crimmins and uh, those Barry guys that passed dingo. away. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm very. I was very sad, but I was very happy to to know him and to. I used I to like, say to Barry, I'd be on a 
gig with Barry. And I'd say, Barry, you're making re- these people are here to drink. You're making references to the third undersecretary of state's policy in frickin' Uganda. You know, right, they, they're right, not going right. to get it. Yeah. So you can't get mad at them for not getting it. But he was, you know, I didn't agree with his politics at all. But he really meant it. Yes. So I respected that. Well, he's a very smart guy. And he also yeah. had extremely powerful ethics. Like, he was one of right. the reasons yes, why no true. one respected any hacks in Boston. No. Any thieves were punished. It, yeah. was a, it was because of Barry. Like, you, the, the, you had to have original material. And, Absolutely. And everybody policed it. It was a very unique environment you know, you, because you know, of Rod, him. Rodney Dangerfield said that. He said, when somebody steals a joke from me... It's like like they're hitting one of my kids or something. Yeah. You know, you, do, yeah. you, do you feel that personal, you know? Well, you know how it is when you're working on a bit and it doesn't work well in the beginning. Yeah. And then, you know, it takes months to figure out how to perfect twist it and it, yeah. perfect it. And then someone comes along and takes the finished product. It's, it's a horrific thing. Yeah, you know, but Barry made sure that that environment of Boston was not. It was it wasn't just that it was there was no, there was no thieves. There was also no hacks. Like if you were doing like cop donut jokes or shit, like he would just fucking spit in your <laughs> face. He didn't want none of that. You know, Barry yeah. was a and he was a scary guy, man. I yeah. remember when I was a, a an open micer, I was so intimidated by him. When he started being nice to me, I was like, oh. <laughs> Whew, I made it through. Like I was so that's, worried that's that he so was going to hate me. That's I was so, so worried he was yeah. going to hate me. Well, I was worried that all those guys were going to hate me, and you guys were always really yes. Well, you're, you know, isn't that you're funny? terrible? You're terrible when you're first starting out, and you see guys like you and Gavin, and I was always, you know, I was felt like I was never going to be inside. I was never going to make it. You know, really? it's just, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I was. I just felt like it was unattainable, and you guys were the the kings. And now, like I said. You open for me, you're gonna you're gonna hit the big time. <laughs> That's what the movie's about, yeah. by the way. It's Boston comedy. Yeah, we we shoot it at the Kowloon, we shoot it downtown, and we shoot it all over the city. It's about Boston. It's about comedy, and uh, I hope people come out and see it tonight. Uh, Thursday, it's at the Lemire Music Hall here in Beverly Hills. Oh, is it really this yeah. Thursday? Oh yeah. no shit. Do you want to go? Yeah, I would love to go. What time is it? Seven thirty. I have a show at eight. I'm at the improv. I think. Oh, I? I think so. Oh shit! Well, either even if I can't make it on Thursday, um, I will definitely. Yeah, I'm at the improv at eight o'clock. Unfortunately, but, I uh, spent a lot of nights at the improv. The improv on Holly on Melrose in Hollywood. Yeah, it's a great Bud, spot. And Bud was there. It was great. Those audiences were fantastic. They still are to this day. I've been doing a lot of shows. I'm there tomorrow night. I'm there Thursday night as well. I'm there. I'm trying to do more shows there. You know, mix it up because I mostly just do the comedy store when I'm in town and the Ice House in Pasadena. Did you ever do that place? I think so. How yeah. long are you in town for? Friday morning, I'm flying out. Oh yeah. yeah. What are you doing tomorrow night? You want to do a set at the Improv? Sure. Why not? All righty. Why not? Steve, what, what's, sweetie, what's, ladies what's and gentlemen. Night? Tuesday. Tomorrow night's Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Come on, baby. All right. That'll be fun. You get yeah. me on. I will. Yeah. You're you're gonna be on for sure. Okay. Yeah. It'll be hot. And people know you from the show. All right. Yeah. There Thank you, you. My pleasure. Um, so when you did s- decided to do this 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 movie about Boston comedy, and you didn't want to do that uh, that when stand up stood out documentary. That was many years ago. What what is 
So you you knew it was just going to be about the decadence, of, but it was also documenting what stand up was like in the I didn't know what it days. I, I didn't know what it would be. So you, you know? just decided to yeah, walk away from it. I didn't know. Yeah, you know, it was one of those decisions. You know, it's like um, sometimes you make decisions that are really fucked up. Like, do you remember Ed McMahon had a show? What was it? Star well, Star Search? I, no, it was something. Ed McMahon had this. Wasn't he Star Search? Yeah, it was Star oh, Search. Was, was that what it was? Kevin James won. So, so I'm auditioning for this show, and I'm saying, here I am auditioning for a show I don't want to do, and I've been turned down. You know. <laughs> so I said, wow, this is this is awful. I did a lot of that. I they auditioned yeah. for sitcoms that I really didn't want, and then, or uh, movies rather that I really didn't want. And do you I like never that? Got them anyway. No. No. no, I retired. I'm retired 100% from acting. Wow. Yeah. Last movie I did was a Kevin James movie, but it's Kevin's a buddy of mine. Yeah. And I would I would do something with him just for, for a goof, but I don't enjoy acting. I don't enjoy sitcoms. I don't enjoy actors. I like comics too much. Yeah. I like hanging around with comedians so much that when I'm hanging around with actors, I'm like, God, I wish you guys were comics. <laughs> you know? Really? Is yeah. that true? Because, yeah, comics, are they don't have any filter. They're loose. You yeah, know where you that, stand that with them. That is true. You know where you stand with them. If they like you, they really like you. And they're accepting of weird shit and flaws. Like, yeah, he's fucking crazy. What are you going to do? It's funny, though. You know, people say shit like that. Like, You know what they used to say to me? Say, are all these comedians on drugs? (laughs) And I'd say, no, only the good ones. It's fucking George Carlin and Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're the, the wild, impulsive people. But a lot of them, you know, like Bill Hicks, got off the drugs and was probably even better when he was off the drugs. Yeah. But had a lot of great drug stories. Oh, yeah. You, know? it, 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 you look back and there are great stories as long as you can look back. Yes. And as long as they're just stories. Yeah, as long as you're not in jail. And, as long and as you get through. And they're funny when you look back, but they're not so funny when you're in the middle of it. Well, the ding-ho, when you guys were starting out. That was the that was the legendary place. That was what we'd all. I'd come a little bit too late. I think the dean you know closed. What, it was always there was a, a bartender there named Henry, and I'd always ask this crazy question. I'd say, "Is he an asshole or is he Chinese?" As, <laughs> as though it's like, you know, mutually what? exclusive. You know, Chinese. You know, you don't know if they're pissed off. It's like, you know, what, what do you want, Sweeney? Sweeney not here. Sweeney. You know, you know, I'm I'm on the phone. Yeah, I'm Sweeney. Yeah, Sweeney's not here. We don't know where Sweeney is. You know, I'm Sweeney. I'm trying to get in there. You, um, yeah, the ding ho. That was that was wild. The guy lost the place in a dominoes game. No. Yeah, his name was Shun Lee, and he was a compulsive gambler. And so it was a Chinese it. restaurant with a theater, like or a, like no, a, it was a, a setup? restaurant, the ding ho restaurant. But there was a stage. And, and there was a stage, but the. You know, one time he came in, the doors were locked. He lost it in what you guys would think of as a card game, but apparently they played dominoes gambling. You know, How did it get started? How did Ding Ho get started? Kremens. Kremens started it. Yeah, Kremens. So just, what was going on before then? There was no comedy club. No comedy. And What year was this? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember anything like this. It had this. to be people, like the people 70s? People say to me, if it was the 90s, I don't remember a day of it. But It closed in 84, right? I don't remember. Well, it was, I think it closed in 84 because it was gone. Like It was a, a legend when I came around. I came around in 88. And people were like, ah, oh, you missed the ding-ho. T- we all had our own shows there. I was Sunday nights, and I'd do all these crazy characters. I was just trying to 
you know, find out what do I want to do. You know, so I was doing like characters. Right. Um, but one week, that's when the magic happened. Is Peter Lasali from the Tonight Show came in, and at the time, the Tonight Show was the Tonight Show. He saw Stephen Wright, and the next week, Stephen Wright was on the Tonight Show. It was amazing, you know, because we, there we what we were catapulted from Inman Square freaking Chinese restaurant to Johnny Carson. It was amazing. It was wonderful. Did, when did the other clubs start opening up? It was after that. When they when people found out there was some money in it, you mm. know. But and then it was in the suburbs and yeah, it was all over the place. Do you remember that there was one time where there was Duck Soup across duck from soup. Duck Soup was Nick's Comedy Stop yep. down the street from Nick's Comedy Stop was the Comedy connection, connection and above it was Comedy at the Charles Playhouse. Remember Mike Clark was booking Comedy Mike. at the Charles Playhouse yep. for a while. Yep. So there was four clubs on the same block. That's right. In Boston. And you know what? They were all filled. The same guys were working in all of them. And everybody was shuffling around. <laughs> right, yeah. But the, the shows were yeah. filled. It yeah. was like they, they couldn't get enough. Great. Do you remember great. when Nick's was doing three shows in three different rooms? Yeah. They were doing the disco downstairs. Mm. They had the smaller middle room, and then they had the upper room. One Saturday night, I did Stitches, which was on Comab. I did three shows there. I did four. Nick. I did about nine shows in one night. Wow. And at the end of the night, I was just I was saying to the audience... Did I already do that joke? <laughs> and I was so tired. Yeah. You know, it was like, I'd be like setting it up and then, what's the fucking punchline of this shit? Yeah. You know, <laughs> you know and There's sometimes, a point of sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you're not even thinking about what you're doing. Right. And um, they're not laughing. And I say, then you say, well, you realize you're not saying it right. You're not delivering it. And, you know, then you deliver it, and they laugh. And then there's this other voice in your mind saying, wow, that's interesting. If I change my voice, they'll laugh. And it's like me watching me do this. It was, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. You know? I mean, I can remember, if you want to hear a horrible Coke story, I was down in New York. I was up for a show called Not Necessarily the News. I remember that. So we backstage at... Uh, Catch a rising star, and that place, you know, when somebody comes out to see on these shows, they're always late. So I'm downstairs, and the guy says, uh, they're not here yet. And I said, oh, all right. And I said, he said, do you want to do a line? I said, all right. I'll fucking do <laughs> you know, so I did it. And now, so now, now time is going faster because you're fucked up. And I said, are they here yet? And he said, well, you just asked five minutes ago. No, they're not here. Do you want to do another line? I said, yeah, okay, I'll do another <laughs> So I get, by the time I'm on stage, it's like, I'm fucking, you know, there's no comedy, you know, when you're jamming. It's like the intensity is fucking unbelievable. <laughs> you're on stage like this. Right. So they were there to see me. And I go out and I did this and I was like, setting up a joke and not doing the punchline and starting shit and ideas and it was fucked up it was like charlie sheen you know what i mean it's right like, there's no dots to put together it's right, not right, supposed right. to make any sense i go off and i said to the kid how was it he said how was it you were supposed to do 25 minutes you did four minutes i said <laughs> i thought i was out there for like an hour <laughs> It's fucking awful. Jesus, when I think of those days. When did you quit? 26 years ago. What was the reason? You know, when I talk to kids, they, they say that sometimes. What, 
And the closest thing I can say is something we say in the program. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. I was always exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. Always tired. Right. Yeah. So then I came back to life, you know, and now I enjoy every day. Beautiful. Yeah. And I enjoyed being on this show. Enjoyed having you. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank you. you. For real. All right. Thanks, I, sir. I hope we can do it again. We will. And you, you're going to be at the improv tomorrow night, 8 p.m. show. All right. You know what? I'll come huh? and watch you. Come on, motherfucker. You're are doing you, a set. Are you, are you on, yes. on at 8? Yes. Well, I'm on. I close. I'm on last. So I'll go on at like 9. Something like that. Yeah, I'll do five minutes. All right. Beautiful. All right. Steve Sweeney, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, Sweeney the, the movie Killing comes out Sweeney. When? Uh, you can get it on iTunes in a couple of days. Woo. We pre ordered. Thanks, sir. All right. Thank you, Joe. Was it good?